Hello, everyone. Welcome back to True Crimes Untold. I am your host, Jess. I hope you guys are all well, happy, and healthy. Before we get into this episode, I just want to say how deeply sorry I am to the families and victims in the um, Buffalo shooting in New York. Um, It's just so tragic. I will never, I just, I just don't understand it. It's one of those things where you just don't understand why, why did this have to happen? It was a hate crime. Um, This man, he drove, you know, quite a distance to commit this hate. It was just such a hateful crime. Um, You know, he, he went to a, he was a white male, went to a predominantly black community uh, to a grocery store, a tops friendly supermarket. And this man, I mean, he, he had planned this. He was dressed head to toe in tactical gear you know, he had um, like assault weapons. He knew what, you know, he knew what he was doing. And on top of all of that, he filmed, he went live for the whole entire thing on his Twitch, you know, profile or however Twitch works. Um, and he did shoot and kill 10 people and he injured three more and 11 of the 13 people that he shot were were black people, you know, so he went there um, with a target and it's just, it's so fucked up and um, it's sad. This person, he needs serious mental health help and we know how this country is and who knows if he'll ever get it, you know, properly and because that, that's just that he's missing something, you know, that's not a human being right there that does something like that. So I just wanted to say that first is I, my heart goes out to anybody affected that whole community, you know, is affected. Um, well, the whole country, I mean, I know I am when I see something like that, it affects me. Um, so yeah, I wanted to start with that and, um, my love for, for all of you guys. So now, unfortunately, I'm going to take you from that to, um, something, you know, set very sad as well. And I'm going to give a listener's discretion. This episode will, first of all, include adult language, um, and it does include, violence and murder on a teenager. So if you don't want to hear things like that, I understand. Um, I can let you know before I get to the to the pretty brutal parts or if you want to just skip past, feel free to do that. I'm going to give you a moment here to decide. So this episode is on the murder of April Millsap. April Millsap was a 14-year-old girl from Armada, Michigan, which was a small town about 35 miles from Detroit. April lived with her mom, Jennifer, and her stepdad, David, and she was an only child. She was described as a quiet and shy girl who was very caring and generous to everyone she knew. 
Jennifer said her daughter had a heart of gold and she was always there for others. April was a normal teenager doing normal teenager things. She hung out with friends and her boyfriend of a year and a half. She was a good student and in the school band, and because of her love for animals, she dreamed one day of becoming a vet. April took her fitness and health seriously, and she made sure to hit her step count every day. One of the things she loved to do was take her dog Penny for walks. On July 24, 2014, at around 5.30 p.m., April decided to take Penny out for a walk because it was a beautiful summer evening. Jennifer was okay with April going. She had done it so many times before, and she knew not to stay out past dark. However, this time was different. It was getting dark, and there were no signs of April and Penny. Jennifer started to feel nervous, so she sent April a text message to make sure she was okay, to see where she was at, and just to make sure she was on her way home. Minute after minute was passing, and Jennifer was not receiving any response back from April, which of course made her even more concerned, because she knows her teenage daughter always has her phone on her, and for the most part, she usually responds back pretty quickly. Jennifer tries calling April instead, but her phone goes straight to voicemail, and when call after call goes unanswered, she can feel it in her gut that something bad has happened. At 9 p.m. that night, Jennifer called the police and reported April missing. It had been almost four hours since she had seen her daughter last, and the police take this very seriously. They send officers to the Millsap residence to take a statement from Jennifer, but when they get there, she is so distraught and upset that she can hardly speak. Jennifer was on the phone with David, April's stepdad, who was at work, and she was trying to tell him what was going on, but the police had to take her phone and inform him what was going on because Jennifer was hyperventilating. David left work immediately, and when he arrived home, police were still asking Jennifer questions. They wanted to know what April's plans were for that day, what she was wearing, where she would usually go walking at, and a few other general questions about April's life. Jennifer told police about April's long-term boyfriend, Austin, so police got into contact with him to ask him a few questions. They wanted to know if he had seen or heard from April that day. Austin told police that he hadn't heard from her for a few hours, but when they did talk, what April said was pretty concerning. At 6.28 p.m., while April was on her walk with Penny, she sent Austin a text message saying, quote, I almost got kidnapped. Oh my fucking God. A few police officers went back to the station to work the case, and while they were there, they received a 911 phone call from a husband and wife. They told the police that while they were walking on the trail, they found a dog roaming around by herself. The dog, which ended up being Penny, led the couple to a ravine, and this is where they discovered April's body. Detective Rebecca MacArthur from the Michigan State Police was one of the first to arrive on the scene. When the detective was interviewed, she said when they got to the scene, they found April's clothing had been ripped off of her and her shorts and underwear were pulled down around her ankles. In April's autopsy, there was no signs of sexual assault. She didn't have any stab wounds or gunshot wounds. The coroner believed that April was beaten to death during a failed attempt at being raped. She had footprints on her chest and neck, suggesting that her killer had stomped on her after she was already dead. April sustained 48 separate injuries, and it was obvious to police that the perpetrator had a lot of anger while attacking April. 
The coroner ruled that the official cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head, causing a bleed in her brain, along with asphyxiation by a shoe being pressed on her neck. The FBI was brought in, along with a few other detectives from Detroit, and their first step was to interview anyone they could find that was on the walking trail on the day of the 24th. One person they interviewed said they saw something suspicious while they were walking. This person said that they saw two white males jumping into an old beaten up white van and take off. Police tracked down the van and the two men that were seen leaving the area that April's body was found, and after questioning them, police rolled them both out as suspects. The police were receiving thousands of tips, and they decided to come up with a timeline of events based on the evidence they found at the crime scene and from text messages. They believed that April was walking Penny on the trail that day when an older man approached her trying to flirt with her. When April ignored the man's advances and walked away, the police think that this is when she texted Austin and told him that she was almost kidnapped. April continued walking when it's believed that this man approached her again, this time very angry from being turned down, and hit her in the head from behind and dragged her into the woods, where he continued to beat her and eventually killed her. The police think that April was attacked between 6.30 p.m. and 6.45 p.m. Officers and troopers took scent dogs to try and locate her phone. The dogs tracked April's scent and found her phone a mile away from where her body was found, near a residence that had a long driveway surrounded by foliage. The police obtained April's phone records and they found a fitness app that tracked her movements and speed on the day that she died. April left her house that day at 6 p.m. and was walking at a speed of 4 miles per hour. Then at 6.20 p.m., her speed picked up and there was 15 minutes of frantic activity. It was determined that during this time, April was fighting for her life, but she was overpowered. Then the police catch a break. Whoever killed April took her phone and their route was being tracked through the fitness app. More than 100 officers were brought in from different departments to find April's killer. They went back to the trail to look for anyone else who may have witnessed anything that happened that day. And several witnesses did come forward and say they saw a man that seemed very angry on a blue and white motorcycle. Police knew that motorized vehicles were not allowed on the walking trails, so they immediately were suspicious of this man. One of the witnesses said that they saw April and an older man talking, and it seemed a little heated, but she didn't think April was in any danger. Another witness said that they saw that same motorcycle parked at the trail and a man standing near it in the brush. They said that they locked eyes with this man, and his eyes were piercing, like he had just been caught doing something. The witness was able to create a composite sketch, and an all-points bulletin was put out. The police tracked the route that April's phone provided, and they were able to obtain surveillance footage from a nearby street. The camera caught the man on his motorcycle at 6.49 p.m., but he was wearing a helmet, so police could not make out any facial features. Trooper Raymond Petchman, who was working the case, was driving home from work when he spotted a blue and white motorcycle parked in a driveway. The bike matched the description that several witnesses gave, so he stopped and walked up to the house and took a few pictures of the bike and the address of the home. 
When the trooper showed the pictures to his colleagues, he was given the go-ahead to talk to the homeowner. The man who owned the house said that the motorcycle belonged to his friend, James Van Callis, who was just stopping over that day. He said that James lived 40 miles outside of town. The police ran a background check on 32-year-old James Van Callis, and there wasn't much that stood out, but they did see that James's father, who was also named James Van Callis, had a much worse criminal history. 66-year-old James Sr. was a registered sex offender and was a repeat offender of criminal sexual misconduct with children under the age of 13. This was obviously a major red flag for the police. When Trooper Petchman went to the Van Callis home to question James, he was cooperative and answered all of his questions. James said he went to visit his brother in Armada that day around 6 p.m. and he stayed there until around 8 p.m. The trooper asked James just one more question. He wanted to know what kind of shoes he was wearing that day. James showed him a pair of sneakers, but they were not the same tread pattern found at the crime scene. Trooper Petchman left, but he had a strange feeling about James. James wasn't ruled out as a suspect, but they didn't have any evidence that he was there that day. Trooper Petchman returned the next day to ask James a few more questions, and this time, James wasn't as cooperative. He asked James to write a statement in his own words, but he refused and told the trooper that he had errands to run. Trooper Petchman already had a weird feeling about this guy, and now just 24 hours after being helpful, he's now refusing to cooperate. And James also looked very similar to the composite sketch of the man the witness saw that day. The police checked out James's alibi, and it turns out that he didn't arrive at his brother's house when he said he did. They obtained his cell phone records, and his phone placed him at a gas station next to the crime scene. Now, the police had enough evidence for a search warrant, and they raided the Van Callis home. During the search, they found marijuana in the house, so they were able to arrest both men on drug charges. While they were in custody, police took their DNA and tested it against the crime scene and April's body, but to their surprise, no matches were found. During this, other officers were questioning neighbors, and they found out that the blue and white motorcycle that James usually drives every day hasn't been seen by anyone since the murder. The police did not find the bike during the search, but they did find a helmet and other biking gear. James Sr. was released on bond for drug charges, but his son stayed in custody. The police believed that they had their suspect. They continued their search of the home, looking for one thing in particular, the shoes that matched the footprints left on April's body. The print was from a Nike Jordan shoe, but police could not find those shoes anywhere. Instead, they found James's cell phone, and on that, they found a photo of him wearing a pair of Nike Jordans. They also found tons of internet searches for younger girls and how to make younger girls like me. The evidence continued to build against James when his girlfriend, Crystal Stadler, told the police that she wanted to talk to them. She told them that she was James's hostage and that he would never let her leave the house. She said he was abusive and controlling. 
Crystal said James had been acting strange, and she woke up the morning after the murder to James cleaning his shoes. He told her that he had spilled some oil on them. He started to tell her that he messed up and that he needed her to stand by him. Crystal said she had no idea what that meant until the police came to question him. She told the police that James showed them a different pair of shoes, not the ones he actually wore that day and cleaned the next morning. She said the ones he had on were a black and white pair of Nike Air Jordans, the same ones they saw in the photo on James's cell phone. To determine if the shoes matched the prints at the crime scene, the police ordered the exact same pair to test out. The sneakers were a perfect match. The police said it was so heartbreaking because you could actually see the Air Jordan outline on April's face. That is how much rage this man had and then took out on a completely innocent stranger. 32-year-old James Van Callis was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, murder during another felony, and assault with the intent to rape. On January 20, 2006, James went to trial in Macomb County. Jennifer could not believe how smug and stone-cold he was. She said he was laughing and smirking during the trial. The prosecution said that James was a violent predator. They told the jury that they might not have DNA and fingerprints, but they had plenty of evidence that showed James violently murdered April. They had multiple eyewitnesses, cell phone records, a fitness app, and surveillance footage of James on his motorcycle leaving the scene. The prosecution also said that April tried to contact her boyfriend saying that she was almost kidnapped and she thought she was just walking away from this man, but James caught up to her and for 15 minutes brutally attacked her and then took her belongings to throw away. James's defense argued that there was no evidence to put him at the scene and there was no link between him and April Millsap. They argued that there was not any motorcycle tracks near the scene and the police did not find a pair of Nike Jordans in James's possession. The prosecution then brought James's girlfriend Crystal to the stand as a witness. She told the court that on the night of April's murder, she came down around 3 a.m. to find James cleaning his shoes and helmet with hand sanitizer. She told them that James had come home around 9 p.m. and everything was fine and the two of them went to bed until she found him cleaning in the early hours. She said the first time the police came to talk to James, that's when he told her that he really messed up and that he needed her to stand by him. He told Crystal that if anyone asks, he was wearing K-Swiss trainers that night, even though she remembered him wearing the Nike Jordans. Crystal told the court that James would not tell her what happened, so she went into his backpack that he always carried and found a hoodie that had grass and mud all over it as well as clumps of long hair. Other witnesses took the stand and told the jury that they saw James and April on the trail that day. The witnesses say they saw James approach April and then saw April looking nervous, walk a few feet ahead of James, who they said looked angry. Then another witness said they saw James walking out of the wooded area, alone looking very nervous. 
Every witness that came forward was able to describe the man they saw with April and it matched James and the composite sketch that was made. At the end of the trial in 2016, it took the jury seven hours to deliberate and deliver their verdict. James Van Callis was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now it was Jennifer Millsap's turn to speak. She looked right at the man that murdered her daughter and said, quote, I pity you. I hate you. I can never forgive you. You, James, are a damn thief. You stole my beautiful daughter's life, and you stole the rest of mine. April was a beautiful, kind, giving, and loving young lady. She was beautiful both on the inside as well as the outside. You stole her future and all that she had to give, from her and the rest of the world. I was very proud of her. She was my world, and I will miss her greatly. I hope those four walls close in on you. I hope those steel bars are your only friends. I hope when you close your eyes, you see April over and over again. She questioned his motives on why he killed her daughter and told James that he hopes his fellow inmates hear about how brutal he was to a child. As James was walking out of the courtroom after receiving his verdict, his mother shouted, James, we love you. To this day, the Van Callis family believes that James is innocent and that he was framed by the police. In July 2015, the April Millsap Community Garden was created in the village of Armada. There are pictures of April and a statue of Penny. The garden was designed to reflect April's personality and her love for butterflies and flowers. Jennifer and April's boyfriend, Austin, released butterflies for April. They also put a bell in the garden that is near Jennifer's home so she can hear it when it rings, and it's a beautiful reminder that people are still thinking about April. Ugh, those, um, you know, um speeches, um, victim speeches. They just, I, I, if they're able to give them, I will always read even, I mean, hers was a lot, you know, more, um, longer and, um, just, just so honestly, like, I feel like almost proud of her. You know what I mean? Like, I feel proud that she got up there. And even though I don't even know her, I would feel proud for any person that could stand up there and look at evil in the face and just tell them what they have done to you and your family, you know, and that what she said really, um, just kind of shows you who April was as a person. So yeah, if you're ever in Armada, Michigan, and this story touched you in some way, you know, uh, stop at April's garden and ring the bell. Uh, Jennifer says she loves hearing when that bell rings, of course. And let me just say, I do not believe that the police framed this man. I definitely believe he is guilty. 
I believe he committed this crime along with possibly other crimes. Um, you know, him and his dad, his dad's very sadistic, uh, living in a house together. I don't even know how that happens because James did have, you know, a criminal history as well. It just wasn't as criminal as his dad's history, which, geez, oh man, like I said, I don't even know how the two of them are living in a household together, how a repeat offender is even on the outside goes over my head, I'm sure as well as most of yours. But yeah, so well, again, thank you guys for listening. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at True Crimes Untold Podcast. And go to Spotify, hit the subscribe button, and you will get notifications with new episodes. And I will see you guys in a few weeks. Have a wonderful evening and a wonderful week and a wonderful weekend. Bye.